Welcome to the Readerly Report. Your hosts are Gail Weiswasser and Nicole Bonilla. We hope you enjoy our candid book conversations, recommendations, and observations on the reading life. Thanks so much for joining us. Welcome to another edition of the Readerly Report. Today, Gail and I, Gail, actually, you should tell them what we're going to be talking about because you have the correct phrasing for the topic. Ah, okay. Well, we're recording on Valentine's Day, so it is February, the month of love. And today we're going to talk about um, our favorite couples slash love stories, um, looking back over books we've read, the ones that jump out at us. And I don't know how you organized your notes. I have mine kind of in different categories of love stories. Okay. So that's how I did it. I didn't have that many love stories, I think. I think I have books that contain love or strong couples, but it's been a while. I have one just flat out romance talking about bear man chest on the cover, (laughs) woman (laughs) straddling him. So I do have one of those, Uh, but everything else... Yeah, I think that I have one bodice ripper. I'll just say that. Okay. Yeah, I think love comes in all different forms. And I have, yeah, I have plenty here that are not like sort of traditional love stories, but they have some couple at the heart of them who have some interesting substantive relationship. Okay. I think, yeah, I think we'll cover the gamut today. Okay, sounds good. So before we get into that, we'll save that for the last half of the show. We'll talk about what we've been reading, a little bit of literary news, uh, which I will include the list of literary works of fiction that are now in the public domain. Oh, good. Okay. My, my homework from last week. All right. So Gail, what have you been reading? Um, yeah, so I'll kick it off with what I've been reading. So I don't think I had finished this the last time we talked, but I read The Girls from Corona Del Mar, which is um, the second novel by Rufy Thorpe, who also wrote The Knockout Queen, which I read last year. And um, The Girls from Corona Del Mar was for my In Real Life book club. And um, if you've read any Rufy Thorpe, you know that her books are kind of dark and a little twisted, but also bittersweet and have with some kind of dark humor in them as well. And the girls from Corona Del Mar was no exception. Um, It's about two girls growing up in Corona Del Mar, California as teenagers and how their lives diverge. And one of them kind of gets pregnant early, gets married early, has a special needs kid and her life is kind of headed off in one trajectory. Whereas the other one kind of escapes this suburban town they've grown up in and goes to college and becomes, um, you know, kind of a a scholar, like she's moves to Turkey to do, um, translations of ancient, uh, texts. Like she's, you know, intellectual, And it's kind of about how these two women go in and out of each other's lives over the years and how the ways in which they kind of understand and impact each other and then the secrets that they're keeping from each other. And I really liked it. A lot of people in my book club did not, and they found it 
depressing and they didn't see what the point was, but I really liked it. I love her writing and I enjoyed kind of the darkness of it. Mm. So that was that book. And then I veered into thriller slash psychological drama territory for the next two books. So I finished um, Goodnight Beautiful by Amy Malloy, which is a book I think we've talked about on the show. It's about the- Didn't she have another book? Yeah, like The Perfect Mother or something. Something like that. I didn't read it. Okay. Um, And this is the one about the couple that moves from Manhattan to a suburban New York town. And he's a psychologist and he's seeing patients in the basement of this house. And someone's listening in on his, um, his sessions with his patients upstairs. And it's kind of a twisty, like there's some, the narration is not always clear and there's some twisty parts of it. I don't want to give away much more because I don't want to spoil any part of it, but, um, it, it's definitely like a psychological thriller and it was, you know, one of those kind of breathless turn the pages stories that, you know, does it make a whole lot of sense? Not necessarily, but it's, (laughs) (laughs) it's, you know, one of those, one of those ones that, you know, me, I get sucked into reading and then I complain about them after I read them. Right. But, um, I definitely kind of flew through the back half of this one. I started it on audio and then I was like yesterday, I'm like, I just got to finish this thing off. And I just finished it in print this morning. And it was, uh, it was good. It was good. It's definitely like psychological thriller territory. So you know what to expect with that. Okay. And then I read The Push by Ashley O'Drain, which is... Oh, was that good? Yeah, it was good. It was really good. I read that, like, like I kind of did that in like Nicole time. Well, my version of Nicole time. So like (laughs) a day and a half. Um, this is the book about the woman who has a daughter that she cannot connect with emotionally. And they have a very fraught relationship and it's, you know, is the daughter evil? Is there something going on with the mother? What's happening? Um, it's, yeah, it was really good. It was very, immersive and you it absolutely once you start you really can't put it down and I, what i liked about it is i guess it's a thriller psychological drama but it was very well written and you really get into the head of the mom and i think you feel very sympathetic towards the mom and you kind of are you know very in- interested and invested to find out what's going on and you know where is the where is the issue between these two is it her is it the daughter is it both it was very good so kind it's kind of like baby teeth. Just going to say it's a lot like baby teeth, but <laughs> a lot better. And it's a little bit like we need to talk about Kevin, but different. Like we need to talk about Kevin was um, much more, I, it, just kind of a more detailed and, you know, it's Lionel Shriver. So it's super, uh, there's just like lots of analysis and, and this super one is cerebral. Yeah. Super cerebral. This one's not cerebral in that way, but it was still, it was very good. So I know that book has been getting tons of hype and tons of attention and I just, I needed to see what it was all about. So I'm glad I read it. Okay. I think I had listened to, like I had previewed it a little bit on audio and I was just trying to figure out whether it would be an audio book for me or if it would be something that I would prefer to read. Uh, you might want to read it because you're going to want to like race through it and audio. 
<laughs> yeah. And audio, you know, you're limited by the pace of the, there's not much you can do to speed it up. Okay. Whereas when you're, you know, super into it, you can just start flying through the pages. So I would guess you might want to do it uh, in print, but I don't know what the audio is like. So it might be really good. It sounds kind of good. I mean, the beginning of the novel is, looks like it's in second person, which is. It's a letter that she's written. Right. She's kind of told her side of the story. Right. Okay. Got it. Yeah. How about you? So I finished two audiobooks that I that have been percolating forever. One was The Last Flight by Julie Clark, which is um I think I listened to it on Audible. I think it's an Audible original or exclusive because I now they're coming out with these books. I don't know, it's it's very weird as I've been thinking about reading books, there are certain books that they are commissioning that you can only get from them. There was a big article that I had read about that, that I actually wanted to mention at some point for news, but I don't have the reference for it. So we will, we can talk about it another time, but it was just talking about the danger of having books that are only available through a certain platform, but Mm -hmm. that is happening. And lots of authors seem to be on board for either doing short stories or having the option or making their books available only on audio. I think Trevor Noah did that with, um, with his memoir wasn't exclusive, but anyway, so finished that on audible. And then I had been reading, um, the wife upstairs, which I got from Libro FM. Um, and they were both good. So I'll talk about The Wife Upstairs first. It is by Rachel Dawkins, and it is a loose retelling of Jane Eyre. I think I mentioned it before, and I said I I thought it was kind of cute that they were substituting. Instead of her being a governess, she is a dog walker in this exclusive neighborhood called Thornfield Estates in Birmingham, Alabama. So all of that was really intriguing. It's supposed to like concentrate on the Southern charm and the Gothic, you know, the Gothic relationship between Jane and Rochester. And I am not, you know, I don't love Jane Eyre. Like I really like the first two thirds of the book and just kind of hate the last third of the book. So I feel like I enjoyed this one because I was not really invested in heavily following I didn't care whether it really followed the, it was true to Jane Eyre. I think it was entertaining in a sense because I didn't connect it so strongly to that. Like there would be these elements that would be a nod to the story and it would be really funny to just think about it. But my enjoyment of the story is basically predicated for the most part that I thought of it as its own thing because it does, and it kind of pokes fun at Rochester as I think a romantic um, a romantic lead, which of course in Jane Eyre he is. And there is, I think there's been like this lifelong battle between Darcy and Rochester for, you know, (laughs) who is the most beloved. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think Rochester is terrible. Like their relationship is terrible and toxic. I thought he was just a hot mess. And I think this book kind of plays with that in a lot of ways. So, so if you're looking for purity to the novel or for the characters 
to, I guess, adhere fully to that story, then you might not enjoy this because it does. It's almost kind of like when we read um, the Catherine Chen book. Oh, Mary B. Mary B. So I wouldn't say she's as irreverent as Mary B got with that, but, you know, it's definitely not, not for, I don't think it's for Jane Eyre purists, but it was a, it was, it's a very fun listen. Okay. So, and the other one, I think you read The Last Flight, right? I did. Yep. And uh, I really liked that. I thought it was a well done psychological thriller or, and, and just a thriller because it's literally about this one woman who's trying to escape her from her husband who has switched places. She switched airline tickets with a woman that she meets online who's also running. This woman's plane ends up crashing, but the woman who's on the run from her husband, she, she, her plane doesn't crash, but she has cover to sort of start building her own life. And uh, she starts to delve into Eva, the woman who had taken her place on the plane. She gets to get into her life. And I thought both perspectives were really well done. It's told in two perspectives. You know, one is Eva and it's talking about what she was doing leading up to the plane crash. And then the other perspective is from the woman who's on the run from her husband, who she has a couple of names because she takes an alias. She's living as Eva for part of it. And her, her name actually escapes me. But it's told from both of their perspectives and we get to see what happens to her after the plane has crashed. So it was really good. Yeah, I read that this summer. And uh, now that you're refreshing all those details for me, it was it was very intricately told and the pacing mm-hmm. of the pre and post crash and kind of that both of these women were in some respects trapped by, you know, whether it was their own doing or the husband. And yeah, it it was a good book. Yeah. It was one of those that you don't get to at the end and think it has veered wildly off course. You know, it actually made sense. Right. She was able to do both stories in a way that made sense. You know, I mean, yeah. So I recommend those two if you're looking for audiobooks. Uh, I also finished this book, which I really liked. And it's one of those books where nothing much happened in, in it, but I just found it completely fascinating. And why am I blanking on the name? I mean, I like just put it down. The author's name is, is Amina Kane, and it's called Indelicacy. Okay. It's kind of a, a strange title. And I'm not even sure, I would have to sit and think about this, whether I think that it fits in with the book, but it's about this woman who starts off as a cleaning woman in one of the art museums in a European city. Like not, you don't really know where she is. Like maybe she's in France. I don't know, for whatever reason, I kind of had in my head that she's in Paris, but you're not quite sure when she is. It seems like it could be set in the past a little bit, but it could as easily have been set now. So there's not a lot that you know about the world, but it is about this woman. She has these aspirations to do, to do something with her life. Like she's very interested in the arts and in dancing and by chance she meets and marries this wealthy man. So it's all about her transition, I guess, from cleaning woman 
uh, a friend that she had made there. It, it references her life a little bit, but it's just all about her transition from being a cleaning woman to being a wealthy woman and kind of discovering what it is that she would want to do and the freedom that she wants to have. So she, with her new time, she has all this time when once she marries, she starts to write reviews of her reactions to artistic pieces that she sees. Like she still does go see a lot of art and dancing. And that's her whole idea for her writing is that she's going to write about her responses to this. And as she goes along, she becomes reacquainted with a friend who was a cleaning woman with her at the museum. So it's very kind of, I don't know, just existential descriptions. It's beautiful writing, uh, just about her place in society, gender relationships. You know, what do you do when you have more freedom to do what you want? In which ways are you still restricted? I really like it. It's, it's a short read, but it was super intriguing. So that's Indelicacy by Amina Kane. Hmm, never heard of it. So, yeah, that's my reading. Okay. It's interesting that I did, you were doing audio and I was doing thrillers. Yes. <laughs> I was getting to the swap. point, you know, like I had been um, listening to them over, you know, over the last, I don't know, several weeks or whatever, but I got, guess I got to both points in the story where it's just like, oh, I have to know what's going to happen next. You know, yep. you get to that point now before then the story is kind of unfolding and you're enjoying it. And then you reach that point where it's like, oh my gosh, you know, like I need to stay listening for a little bit longer and basically just life is going to have to drag me away before I stop. <laughs> All right. Well, that's what we've been reading. Um, you said that you have some book news. Just a little bit because I wanted to touch back about um, the books that I said were coming off, the books that entered the public domain in 2021. And apparently it's public domain day on January 1st. <laughs> Interesting. Talk about your random, talk about your random days. So every January 1st, there comes a list of the books that you now don't need permission from the estate or anything in order to, to, you know, create from these works. So sometimes the books that enter are, you know, they're just not of as much interest. I think the writers may be more obscure that we haven't heard of that have not reached a critical mass, but this year, it was The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald. Mrs. Dalloway came out. Um, Arrowsmith by Sinclair Lewis. An American Tragedy by Theodore Dreiser. In Our Time by Ernest Hemingway. And Gentlemen Prefer Blonde by Anita Luce. So don't be surprised if you start seeing more films, more plays, more books, because now they don't have to get you know, the estate's permission in order to create from these works. So right off the bat in January of 2021, um, there is a new retelling of The Great Gatsby and it's called Nick. And it's supposed to be about Nick's life before the events of The Great Gatsby. And it's by Michael Farris Smith. He wrote this book called Rivers, I think it was, that I really, really liked. Um, 
So I will probably check out this book at some point. I think my book club is reading it for next month. I, I'm not sure that I want to read about Nick before the great Gatsby. Like, I think it's going to concentrate a little bit on his time in world war two, I guess, cause he was a soldier right before this happened, but I'm still kind of on the fence. Like I need to do a little research, maybe read the first chapter or listen to the first chapter to see where I am with that. I'm embarrassed to say that it has been so long since I read either Great Gatsby or Jane Eyre, which you referenced earlier. I like I can barely even remember what they're about. I read them both in high school. I think I read The Great Gatsby again in college for maybe an Amlet class. And like, I just, it's been a really long time. Well, The Great Gatsby kind of just went right over my head when I first read it, probably as a freshman in high school. I don't know. Mm-hmm why we would read it that young, um, reflective of the curriculum. But I feel like sometimes you read a lot of things where it's just like, yeah, I read it. I can discuss the symbolism with you, but this touches my life in no way. And I really don't know what this means. I think I read it probably right out of college and had a different, you know, different experience with it. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious to see if I, you know, to read it 10 years on from college, like what would I think of it? But The Great Gatsby seems to be one of these books where you have had to have some experience with loss or some other things in order to just like really get where it's coming from. You know, Uh, Nick tells the story and it is about this guy who has basically pinned his entire existence on living on um, winning the love of, of Daisy, this one woman. So it's about that in one respect, but it's also like a critique of the wealthy and the damage that is done to people and who gets to escape unscathed. Why is this book considered to be the greatest American novel? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I vaguely remember it. And it seems like, as you're saying, it's, you know, really about a very narrow slice of society and there may be larger themes of loss, but like, how is, why did this book get anointed as like emblematic of, and it's also one of these books that no one liked when it came out. I mean, Fitzgerald died in poverty. That's weird. For the most part. I mean, he had a lot of stuff going on too, but yeah, this was not, I don't think this was a book that lit everyone on fire when it first came out. And I think it's one of those books where I've seen articles where they take a look at the reviews of the book when it came out and they were not good. Uh, I don't know. You know, I wonder movie adaptations. Um can sort of raise the stature. Like I don't remember one besides the one with Carrie Mulligan and Leah and Leah. Oh, wasn't there one with Robert Redford in it? That sounds vaguely familiar. I think I can see Robert Redford in a white suit. And Mm -hmm. I think he was Gatsby at one point. And maybe, maybe we, maybe in a lit class, we saw both films. Uh, The only one that I remember of the Leo one is when he is so excited that Daisy has come to visit him and she's spent the night. And then I think she comments on just the excess of his house and he's like built it specifically for her. And then he's like, he has all these shirts and he's just throwing shirts. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I ever even saw it. Out of the room. He's just throwing shirts. Like he has climbed some... Hmm. high place that houses his clothing and is just throwing shirts down at her. I don't know. Hmm. 
So like you said, very narrow. <laughs> well, I guess we have more adaptations in our future to look mm-hmm. forward to of The Great Gatsby. And I'll keep you posted if I actually do read Nick. Um, I'm curious to see what people do with Mrs. Dalloway. That's another book that I read too early. Had to read again in college. Mm-hmm. And uh, love. you loved it? I did. I mean, I think I read the same as you twice, high school and college. Um, I did. I loved that. And I loved The Lighthouse. Mrs. Dalloway, had, though, has already been made into a movie. Wasn't that The Hours? Right. But I wonder, Michael Cunningham probably had permission. He must have had yeah. permission of, you know, the blessing of whoever does this. I mean, I think the thing about when it comes out, you know, when um, even the estate, the public domain has lapsed. Yeah. That everyone gets it. You don't have to ask permission. Like I can start writing my Great Gatsby retelling tomorrow. Right. <laughs> and I don't right. have to seek out the family to do it. Yeah. So there were a couple of films. Um, all of this stuff is really old. So some of them I weren't from, I'm not familiar with a lot of it, but I do see that The Freshman um, is now in the public domain. Go West, a movie which was directed by Buster Keaton. Clash of the Wolves. You know, I've heard about The Freshman, but. I don't know if that's, if I'm confusing it with something else. Didn't I have Marlon Brando in it? I have no idea. I feel like that was a much more current movie than you're describing. So I don't know anything about it. Right. So we'll just leave that there. That is the public domain of 1925. Um, This was just a selected list. I'm sure there's, there are many more works that are now available for our budding writers and screenplay writers and playwrights to get their hands on if you so desire. All right. Uh, But these were the ones that seemed name worthy. Did you have any news? I didn't. No, I had that long list last week of adaptations, but I didn't have anything new this week. Although wait, no, I did send you a piece of news last night. I don't know if you saw it when I texted you. Oh yeah. That the subject of the book, my friend, Anna, um, the book about the friend who conned people around her out of hundreds of thousands of dollars, um, is being released from prison like hmm. this week. So that seems like um, such a short time for the amount of money that was involved. Yeah. She, I guess it was like two years or not even, uh, I apparently she'd been keeping a blog while she was in prison about what it was like living in this, you know, I had a medium security prison throughout Corona and the ways in which the Corona clampdown affected kind of prisoners rights and what they could have access to and their snacks and stuff like that. I don't know. I only read a little bit of it and then I got kind of disgusted and moved on. (laughs) (laughs) There are people who are still in jail and probably more horrible jails for much less than the grand larceny that she pulled off. Yes. So that she is now running around after two years. I mean, hopefully all the money that's um, from her Netflix, you know, I think Netflix paid her like $320,000 for the rights to her story. So hopefully that is going to make restitution and she won't be checking into any more hotels. I don't know. Celebrity is so weird. We'll probably find that she's doing something 
really strange or she still has options. Seems like you, I mean, like the former president. <laughs> yes, exactly. So yeah, that's all the book news that I had. All right. So should we jump into sure. our, our romantic-like books? Yep, definitely. All right. So I have eight categories and a book for each category. I'm anxious to hear your categories because I did not categorize. Why don't we have you go through the categories and I will chime in if I have a book that fits one of your categories. Okay. So to just do one at a time. Yeah. Okay. All right. So the first one I have is secret. So relationships that are lived and experienced in secret. Ooh, I have one for that too. Oh, good. All right. And the one that comes to mind is the one I've talked about a million times in the last, I don't know, four months, which is 28 Summers by Elin Hildebrand. And the, the couple is Mallory and Jake. So they meet when Mallory's in her 20s. Jake is her older brother's friend. They meet on the vineyard on Labor Day weekend, and they have this kind of clandestine little um, romance that kicks off that weekend. And for various reasons, they don't want to tell anyone about it. And it turns into a tradition where they meet every year on the same weekend on the vineyard, and nobody ever finds out that they are involved. And, um, this is my first and only Elin Hildebrand. I loved this book. We talked about this in the fall when I read it, or maybe it was early winter. I just loved this story and it's not perfect. And there's things that are annoying about it. And, you know, if they were truly in love, why couldn't they just be together? And it was frustrating, but then of course you wouldn't have this story, but I love the way the story is told this, you know, private, relationship that they had where they have their own traditions of how they spend Labor Day weekend every year and what they do together and you know why they worked as a couple and they're definitely an enduring couple and I, it seems that that most people who read this book love it so I seem I'm not alone in my my <laughs> fondness for Mallory and Jake and their secret love that is so funny you are now an Elon Hildebrand fan <laughs> well, I've only read the one and maybe I'll love the other ones. Probably. But yeah, I really love that book so much. All right. So mine, when I thought of, when you said secret relationships, I thought of Mary B by Catherine J. Chen. This is the mm-hmm. Pride and Prejudice retelling. I don't know if I can say, can I say what the secret relationship is? I forgot how we got to this relationship. There is a secret relationship in this novel. This is about um, Pride and Prejudice is being told on from, well, it's Mary B. So it's it's told from the perspective of Mary and it's all about Mary coming out and having a relationship with someone. And it is someone surprising. I don't think, you know, I don't think you can guess who Mary becomes involved with, but it was kind of interesting. Like this is not a book we said at the time. It's not for Pride and Prejudice. Um, purist, purist. because <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know. It's kind of like weirdly modern at the same time that Mary is also having this secret relationship with, I am not going to name the person, but if you want to find out if you are okay with um, 
an author taking liberties with a beloved novel and you want to find out what the secret relationship is, you'll have to read it because I don't want to be accused of spoiling it. I'm going to admit something, Nicole. I don't remember who the secret relationship is. You I have don't? A guess. No. Oh I'm my mortified. gosh. I'm mortified <laughs> because I know I, I have a guess just based on the words you just used. But I, when we finish the show, you're going to have to remind me because I, and then I'm looking I, the book is sitting four feet from me. I see it. I'll have to review, read my review again, but I don't remember who the relationship is. I'm right. just horrified. I'm, I have, I have an idea that I may know, but I, I just texted you. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. I'm not going to mention it. Thank you. Especially since you. you forgot. My gosh. That's embarrassing that I forgot because now that you send it to me, that is an essential part of this book. Right. Yeah. Okay. That's right. I got it. Yes. This is now okay. it's coming back to me. Thank you. That was super helpful. <laughs> so my next one is tortured. So tortured couples where, you know, they there's an, a deep abiding love, but it's so hard for them to... Uh, sustain it. Well, not sustain it. It's hard for them to like keep it in a, in a healthy and positive way. Like they love each other, but it's like, it drives them crazy and makes them miserable. Hmm. So I actually have two books for this one. And the first one is normal people. It's Marianne and Connell who meet in high school and he's like embarrassed to for people to know that he's in a relationship with her because she's kind of this weird bookish loner and he's cool and popular. And then they end up at college together and things kind of change and she becomes popular and he is the weird loner. And the book follows them over maybe four years. So the end of high school, all of college, and then the kind of the beginning of life after college. And they just have ups and downs and they're together, they're not together, but like deep down, you just know they love each other and want to be together. And same applies to the miniseries on Hulu. It follows the book very faithfully. And you're just, you feel so invested in these two and that kind of, these kind of early twenties, like, fiery, passionate, but like so dramatic and, you know, uh, intense relationship. And there's another book that I think also fits into this tortured category. And that is the love we lost by Jill Santopolo. I don't know if I'm saying her name, right? Santopolo. And it's a book about same thing, a couple that meet on nine 11, they're in their twenties, Lucy and Gabriel, And they are also in and out of each other's lives for years. And even though like, you know, deep down, they love each other and should be together, you know, circumstances keep them apart and things happen and they're kind of off living their different lives, but they're always, you know, deep down, they're always thinking about each other and deep down they're in love with each other, even if it doesn't always work out. So I put those two together, you know, I think something, a lot of it has to do with like that time of life where things feel so intense and crazy. And like, you just, you know, you, with hindsight, it makes sense for them to be together. But at the time, other things feel like they loom large and prevent them from being together. So that is my tortured love category of normal people and the love we lost. All right. So I had you by Carolyn Kepnes 
on my list. Um, I think that would be a tortured love story. It is about this man, Joe, who becomes involved with this woman. He's basically engineered his way into her life. It's a Netflix series that I think the Netflix series makes Joe a lot more palatable than you would get if you read the book. Um, I read the book and I hated the book. I hated Joe. And I feel like it's because she did such a good job of putting you in the mind of a psychopath. And he is just such an ugly place to be. But, you know, Guinevere Beck, she is involved with this man. She does not know the depths, the lengths and the depths that he will go with to maintain their relationship. And in some ways she is not even cognizant of, of, um, of who he is and the, the nature of their relationship, but it's definitely just a tortured stalkery type story told from his perspective. I think the Netflix um, series tones him down a lot. God, and I started that Netflix series and I watched like two episodes and he was so (laughs) awful. I had to turn it off. You know, and it wasn't like, it wasn't about the things that he was doing so much that made him awful. I mean, I, you see what he's doing and he's clearly crazy, but I think that there is a charm to the guy who's playing him that even he was just like, you know, people, Joe is not a good guy. You need to not want to be in a romantic relationship with him. But I think the thing with the novel, with the Netflix series is that because it's so visual and because you do get to see other people and other interactions, it's not as terrible as the book because in the book, you are solely in his mind and everything is reflected mm-hmm. through his just so toxic lens. So yeah. Hmm. Okay. So that's my torture story. Tortured. Okay. All right. My next one is adult. So this means this is an adult relationship that's happening to people approaching middle age or, you know, at least in their thirties who are kind of beyond the puppy love infatuation, uh, you know, uber romantic twenties, but they are, you know, they've either been married before, or they've been in relationships before that have left them in some ways cynical and, um, you know, um, feeling closed off. And then they discover a kind of more adult relationship. And the one that I have in mind for this one is Evie Drake Starts Over by Linda Holmes. And this is about Evie and Dean. Evie is out of a, her husband has just died. And so she is um, widowed, living in the house that she lived in with her husband. But what we find is that her relationship with her husband, her now dead husband, was not a good one. It was not like, you know, she's very conflicted about the fact that he's dead because in many ways she's very relieved. But she's living by herself. She's very closed off. She's not interested in being with anyone. And then her friend says, you know, I've got this friend and he needs a place to stay for a couple months. Can he live in your spare guest house or whatever it is? And it turns out it's this guy who used to be a pitcher, major league pitcher, who now has a case of the yips, which is what they call it when a pitcher can no longer 
throw. He can no longer, you know, reach his target. His velocity is off and something's wrong. And it's, you know, maybe it's in his head, but whatever it is, he's like, you know, not effective or successful anymore. And this guy's been kind of cut loose from his team. So he moves into her guest house or guest room. And it's about the relationship that develops between the two of them, which starts out as a friendship and develops into something more. And, you know, these are not perfect people and they um, don't go about things necessarily the right way, but they do develop this romance. And the question of course is, will it stick and will, will they work out? I just found this to be such a sweet and romantic story. I loved the, the two of them. I loved the kind of the gentle humor of this book. And I just was so sad when this book ended. So I like, I like the adult relationship depiction. And that is my, my pick for this category. Every Drake starts over by Linda Holmes. Okay. I don't think I have anything for that. Okay. So what's next? Okay. So my next one is unrequited love. (laughs) So, which has its own romance to it, even if it's not, you know, the typical, two people, you know, falling madly in love with each other. And the book that I have for this category is Forever is the Worst Long Time by Camille Pagan. And in this book, it's really, there's, there's, it's a bit of a love triangle. There's, uh, two best friends and one of them, and I've forgotten his name. He falls in love with a woman named Lou. And when he goes to introduce his best friend, whose name is James to Lou, James also falls completely head over heels in love with Lou. And he carries a torch for her for a really, really long time, such to the extent that it prevents him from kind of moving along with other relationships in his life or even his career because he's so hung up on her. And then something happens between Lou and um, James's best friend. And James has this kind of window of opportunity where he can kind of step in and pursue her. And he does, and it has, you know, unexpected consequences for both of them and their lives kind of go off in another direction from there. So this was a really surprising book to me. Like it just, the turns that it took and the ways in which they responded to each other. And it did not, I I love that it didn't kind of follow the, what you might expect to happen or what you might want to happen but it follows a trajectory of life that feels very realistic and very natural. So um, this book stayed with me a long time after I read it. And I, I think it's my favorite Camille Pagan. And uh, it's just, it's just really good. So that is my unrequited love. So for Unrequited Love, actually the book that comes to mind is our book club discussion book, His Only Wife by Peace Azomadi. And in it, it is about this woman who has the opportunity to marry a really prominent man in her community. Um, She does it in absentia, like he's away traveling or something when they hold the wedding. So she has known him, I guess, from growing up and she's seen how revered he is, but he is not present at her wedding. And then when she goes to live, presumably with, she goes to start her new life, which she presumes will be with her husband. She finds out that she's living in an apartment of her own while her husband is living with a lover that 
his family does not like, which is why they have encouraged or strongly encouraged that he marry her. But she falls in love with him and she wants to be the only one in his life. So it is all about the dynamics of their relationship. Um, the book is about trying to see whether she will get to a point where it's feasible that she could be his only wife. That's a great pick for this category. Yeah. I felt for her. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Okay. My next one is the bittersweet category. And this is about um, a relationship that happens later in life. And it is Addie and Lewis who are the couple at the heart of Our Souls at Night by Kent Haruf. And they come together in their 70s. I think it's in their seventies. They're living in a small town in Colorado. They're both lonely. They've both lost their partners and they develop a very sweet relationship. That's kind of also starts out as a friendship and turns into something more. And then due to pressure by her grandson, the two of them are kind of forced to live apart and break up. And it's very bittersweet because you see that their own happiness is taking away happiness from other people and people that they care about. And then, of course, the question is, you know, what do they owe to the people around them? Should they sort of kowtow to other people's desires or should they pursue what makes them happy as a couple? So there's this sense that the end of even whether or not they do end up back together, it's still going to be sad because it will alienate people that they love. And uh, yeah, I just really like this book. I know I've talked about it a lot on the show. Okay. So what's your next category? My next category is steamy. And this is where I think you can <laughs> put in your bodice ripper. Okay. So as you know, I'm kind of new to the romance genre. And one of the ones that got me into it at all was The Hating Game by Sally Thorne. And the couple at the heart of this one is Lucy and Josh, who work together and hate each other intensely. They're competitive. They are vying for the same promotion. They have hated each other forever, but yet like barely under the surface, like, like a millimeter under the surface is this like intense, uh, tension and clearly that they, they have this attraction to each other and that they are, they're very interested and curious about each other, even though they hate each other. So they have to keep up the pretense of this, this hating game that they play where while well, you know the whole time that there's this like the smoldering love, but um, it she did a pretty good job of kind of drawing that out. Even though you you discovered that they love each other, that they're interested in each other pretty early, the author does draw it out for quite a long time. Um, and so th by the time they finally do get together, it's very um, it's very satisfying. So that is my steamy love. You know, I don't know that my bodice ripper had much steam in it. I'm not sure. Uh, I picked the my darling Duke as my bodice ripper by Stacy Reed, and it is it's typical in the fact that there is a very re reluctant romance that develops first because the woman um, Kitty Danvers is her name. She needs to find a husband in order for her siblings to be able to come out and find great matches. So she wants to use the rumor of being the fiance of a duke uh, whose name is Alexander Masters to 
make people think that she is involved with someone who is in society and will make it safe for her sisters to come out and find suitable matches. Like she doesn't really care whether her marriage comes off. I mean, she's lying about someone who is not even in town. Like he has been a recluse for a number of years, never comes to London or whatever. So she's basically just trying to fake it till she makes it, you know, to pretend to be engaged to this guy so that her sisters can find partners. But of course, he catches wind of the scheme and decides to come to investigate like what's going on, who's using his name. And he decides for whatever reasons that he has that he's going to he's going to humor her and go along with this ruse. So he shows up and now they have to pretend to be in a relationship with each other. I mean, there's probably a couple of steamy scenes, I'm sure. Maybe I, I've just forgotten them, but this was, this. I really like this book. I think I talked about it back in, in when we did a preview show back in 2020. Um, Stacy Reed, this is the first time I had read a book by her and I think she has other books out that I would like to check out. But this series is the first in a series that she has titled Sinful Wallflowers. So it's all hmm. about women who you know, are unconventional beauties who don't mix in society in, in ways that are expected. You know, they each have their own reason for not being married, you know, whether it's they're just really interested in, in education or whatever, but, or don't have the means they are each going to have their shot at love. I think I, I should look for the second book in the series because I did like it. I'm getting kind of Bridgerton vibes from that. Yeah, <clears throat> definitely. Okay. It's, it is a good, that's a good comp for that. The second book is called Her Wicked Marquess. <laughs> okay. It's got even higher ratings than the first one on Goodreads. My Darling Duke got 4.13, but Her Wicked Marquess got 4.13. Two seven. So okay, have to check it out. All right. So my next category is love triangle, and I've got America, an American marriage by Tayari Jones. So you have the love triangle of Celestial, Roy, and Andre. Celestial and Roy were married. Roy got sent to prison for something he didn't do. He's put away for many years, and while he's gone, Celestial develops a relationship with Andre, who's Roy's best friend from growing up. And meanwhile, Roy and Celestial are kind of staying in touch through letters the whole time that he is in prison. And so the question is, when Roy eventually gets out, will he and Celestial get back together? Will Celestial stay with Andre? What's going to happen with this triangle? And... I won't say what happens because I don't want to give away the book, but I thought this was an, a very, very compelling book. You and I have talked about this a lot, that there's no um, villains here, that these are all people acting reasonably given the circumstances that they're in, which I think is why with that love triangle, you can really see it going in either direction. And it's very suspenseful to find out where it will end up. So that is my category four love triangle. As you can tell, this is Gail's show here. You've been reading those romantic <laughs> books. <laughs> well, you've read a bunch of these. Uh, have I? You read American Marriage. Well, American Marriage. Definitely. But carry on. I had three or four books that I, I 
figure of a romance. A lot of the books that I read, I feel like they are unconventional romance. Well, not even romance, but unconventional love stories that I wouldn't, I would have different categories that were completely unconventional. But I like it that you have this shift where you're reading lighter fare. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. Do you want me to go on then? Yes. Okay. Well, I only have one more left. And to me, this one is Hollywood. So these, this is one of those stories that um, the couple like should be together and would be together if it not weren't for some inconvenient fact. And then, you know, once we get past that fact, you know, how, how do, how do we keep them apart and then get them together at the end in some plausible way? So the book I have for that is One Day in December by Josie Silver. And it's about a woman who sees a man from the bus one day and she like falls in love with him, just love at first sight. And then when she finally discovers out, discovers who he is, she finds out that he is her best friend's new boyfriend. And so, of course, setting up this construct that's going to keep them apart because he's in a relationship with someone she cares about. And then, you know, the years go by and life gets complicated and in and out and on and on. And then at the end, will there be the big Hollywood moment where the two of them will finally admit that they you know, have feelings for each other and were meant to be from the beginning. And so that's how, why I call that one a Hollywood ending. So that is um, Laurie and Jack from One Day in December by Josie Silver. I think One Day by David Nichols would fit so many of these categories, maybe mm-hmm. unrequited love, maybe Hollywood ending, possibly. Yep. yep. Uh, that book was Tortured. a lot. Tortured. <laughs> Hollywood, tortured, (laughs) 20s, all of the above. Yeah. All right. So now I will run through the remainder of my books that I didn't necessarily fit into one of Gail's uh, categories. One is When No One Is Watching by Alyssa Cole, which I mentioned in our anti-racist reading fiction list last, uh, last time we were on. And it is about this woman who is doing some research into her neighborhood because she wants to present a tour of the historical elements of the neighborhood, like the black historical elements of the neighborhood. And her neighbor wants to help her in this endeavor. She is just out of a marriage that has ended badly. And he is in a relationship that's kind of limping along. They've done something that I feel like is quintessential New York or big city Um, they have moved into a house together, like they've purchased a house together and are not in the same place in the relationship. They seem like they're going towards breaking up with each other, but neither, well, he can't afford to move anywhere else. So it's people, (laughs) people sharing a space because they, one can't afford to move out in the real estate market, but a relationship of some sort you know, like I'm not going to give everything away, but it does develop between them. So there was a strong romance, undercurrent of romance in this novel. And Alyssa Cole, I think this is her first, I won't say it's her first adult novel. Um, I think her other novels tend to be, have strong romantic elements in them, strong heroines. So, but I want to say that they tend to be sort of YA. And this is this is an adult book that I really liked. 
So they had an they had an interesting romance. Like I really like that book. The other would be The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue, which is about this woman who basically um she wants to have immortality, but what happens is that she is granted this, but she is not able to make a mark on anyone's life. So it's a lot about her trying to be seen, which I think is like a really interesting metaphor for women. It's like she is, she turns out to be a muse for many people. I think this book is heavily about the arts and a lot about who has influence and how does she, uh, how is she able to command her power? But the love story part of it is about, she has, she's gone for hundreds of years for, with being in these relationships where people will never know who she is. Like you can't, she can't be out of their sight for a moment. Like the minute she walks out of a room, if she walks back in, it's just kind of like, what are you doing here? And who are you? But she finally runs across this man in the bookstore who remembers her for a second time. And they embark on this, this adventure to figure out how it is that she is able to be seen by him. Okay. And one of the love stories, I mean, I would, I would argue that there's more than one love story in that novel. And I'm kind of interested to see if it can end right here, but I could also see there being a sequel. I think they set it up for that. So that's my romance book. The last of my romantic love stories. All right. Well, I think you had ones to fit most of those categories. That worked out pretty well. I think that most love stories tend to be not one thing, too. I think that's right. Uh, you know, some yeah. are yeah. unrequited, but then requited. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or the people who, you know, sometimes you're into someone at, you know, you're not at the same time or the same intensity or circumstances get in the way of a lot of love stories. I think that tends to be why we read them to see if people can overcome circumstances. Yep. All right. So we had, we had said that we were going to do our book club. Okay. You want to have a discussion right now? So let's, yeah, let's segue into our book club. So okay. Gail, why don't you give us a synopsis of the book? I mean, we've discussed it a couple of times, but give us a quick synopsis to give anyone who doesn't want to be spoiled a chance to opt out of the show. Okay. So the book that Nicole and I picked for this uh, month's book club is a book that you've mentioned already on the show, um, His Only Wife by Peace Adzo Midi. <clears throat> and as Nicole mentioned, this is a book about a woman named Afi who grows up in Ghana. And she and her mother are living alone and... Um, her mom basically sets her up for an arranged marriage with a man named Eli. Now the catch is that Eli is already involved with somebody else. So as great as he is on paper, he has one serious thing against him, which is he's basically, his heart is already taken by somebody else. But Afi forges ahead anyway. She's kind of naive and young and she sees this as her ticket out of this small town that they're living in. And he's very wealthy and comes from an established family. 
And, you know, she sees this as this is her chance to kind of start the next phase of her life. So she goes ahead and marries him. One bad sign is that on the day that she marries him, he doesn't show up to the wedding. He sends somebody in his stead to basically act as his agent during the wedding. So Afi doesn't even really need him until, you know, several weeks later when she has moved into this beautiful modern apartment um, in the big city, uh, as opposed to her kind of dusty, small house that she lives in with her mom. So she finally meets Eli, and as you mentioned, she falls in love with him right away. And it's about the relationship that develops between Afi and Eli, and it's also about Afi coming into her own and becoming an independent woman and figuring out what does she want out of her life and how is she going to get it. So I think that's as much as I want to say that's non-spoiler. Okay. So anyone, we're assuming that anyone who has not read his only wife has signed off is on, you know, living their lives right now. So now we can get into, now we can get into spoilery elements of this book. So Gail, why don't you tell us what you thought of it just in general? Um, I really like this book. I read this last summer at the beach and I was felt very immersed in the story. Um, I loved Afi. She's in a terrible situation. She's got this man that she's in love with, but he's basically in love with someone else. And as much as she tries to kind of, I don't want to say like ensnare him because she doesn't. I mean, as much as she tries to build on the relationship that they have and trust the feelings that he says he has for her, she's got this nagging feeling the whole time that, you know, she doesn't have all of him, that he's got this other person that he has feelings for and that he's never really going to be a hundred percent there for her. And they have a child together and she still doesn't feel like he's hundred percent committed. So she basically just figures out how to carve out a life for herself that makes her happy, that gets her what she wants, that allows her to further her career and develop her own identity and her own livelihood and as hard as it is, she lets him go. And I, I just, I loved that about her. She had so much respect for herself, um, certainly in a society where there isn't always a lot of respect for women. And she, you know, just decided like, I'm not going to take this. I'm not going to stand for this. And I'm going to just, you know, as painful as it's going to be for me, at least in the short term, I'm going to move on. And I really liked that about her. What about you? I like this book overall, but I think I had more mixed feelings about it. I mean, for the first, I don't know, half, well, the first quarter of the book is kind of the setup. So I was happy to see the setup, but you get a lot about Afi's relationship with her mom, how they have grown up, how she has grown up and her mom has endured situations that are very uncomfortable because her father dies and leaves them in a position where they are at the mercy of his brother. Like they look to him for support and, you know, the father's brother really does not give Afi and her mother the support that they need. So they end up basically being living on the goodwill of this community. And you get that outline of what her life is like, you know, the circumstances she's gone through and why she would be kind of ripe for the picking for this kind of thing where you don't get to meet your husband, where you don't have a lot of agency or say, just because they have been basically living hand to mouth off the kindness of others. 
And then I felt like, you know, I think the movement of the novel, like for the two thirds of the book, I think not, not much happens. You know, you see, we see Afi get to live in this house by herself. She kind of deals with her mom, but she is in this holding pattern. You know, she's just constantly waiting for him. And I was a little frustrated by that, you know, because it's just, she doesn't have a lot of options. She doesn't seem to show a lot of agency. She slowly gets to meet the neighbor who lives next door and she comes to think about certain things. And then I feel like the last third of the novel moves really quickly. So I feel like there's this middle section where I was a little bit bored with her, you know, because she's not, she's not advancing an agenda and she's not really taking full advantage of what it is that she has, you know, she quickly becomes fixated on him. And I felt like I was just a little confused in terms of where her agency did come from because of how she had grown up. Because at one point, uh, Eli's sister says, you know, we brought you from nothing, which of course is not a nice thing to say, but I feel like this family, they thought that she was going to be a pushover. And I guess I had not seen anything up to where she got to where she did that would suggest that she wouldn't be. <laughs> I guess I felt like you kind of had to, um, you like had to get we- through that middle section to get to the end. Like you kind of needed her in the doldrums in that middle limbo. Cause I think that's where she did her growing. Like that's where she sort of like started to gain her confidence to come into herself and realize like what she was capable of tolerating and what she wasn't. So I don't, I don't take issue with what you said. I think you're right. There is that middle part where it's, you, you are frustrated with her and it feels like it's like stasis, but, um, I'm not sure it would have been realistic for her to emerge into the third, the final third without having been through that. And I guess I'm saying that I just don't see I felt conflicted because I felt like on the one hand, we are shown this very traditional society where she did not have anything. And she went from being so happy to please, you know, just to do anything to be able to keep this man so grateful for the relationship. I don't know. I guess I just didn't see enough for the group. She didn't want to do anything. Uh, She was timid and social situations. I guess I don't, I guess I felt like I didn't have enough, even though she is kind of in stasis to buy the leap that she made. Like I didn't know where it came from. And like, I didn't see where she would have had that in her upbringing that suggested that she wanted that. Like she wanted a little shop, like she wanted to to set up a little shop. She did not really have these major expectations And I don't know if the book was saying, is it that she was just so in love with Eli that she, that that was her impetus. That was because I love this man so much. I cannot bear anything like that. When she came from a situation where that's what her brother's family was like, you know, they were literally, he had so many different wives that he couldn't support. And he would literally just like try to send them different places in order to live. And, you know, they talk a lot about his greed and she just didn't give any indication. It didn't seem like the book gave any indication that she had any problem with the way her society functioned. I guess that was my issue. Not Mm. that she would not grow, but the fact that 
it didn't seem like there was anything to suggest that that was what she wanted besides all of a sudden being in this relationship and wanting to be the main woman. Yeah, no, that's fair. Right. So she had no model for independence and... Not only did she not have a model, but it did not even seem like that was what... There was nothing to suggest that that was what she wanted. Like, oh, I've always dreamed of being independent. It was just like, oh, this is an Mm. opportunity. We're going to get my mom out of poverty. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I don't know. Like, I just didn't get enough from her besides... Yeah, besides her just wanting Eli. Maybe it's like the author's projection onto this character. Like, what the author would want. Well, yeah, I mean, that was one of my things that I looked at with the author, like... I, I, I was kind of at odds. You know, if you tell me that this is what modern Ghana is like and this is what women want, then I have no problem with it. But it seemed like she came from such a traditional society that her views were just so modern. I mean, contrast her to her neighbor next door who who has managed to settle. You know, she's kind of like, I'm going to take this money, be in this relationship. I know that no one else wants to be with me or... The fam- his family doesn't want me with him. You know, this is her neighbor who is involved with Eli's brother. And she kind of encourages Afi to take advantage of things. And I think that's why she's able to take steps in her fashion career. Um, but even she's not able to break it. And I feel like she has a more sophisticated understanding of what her expectations can be. So I don't know. And maybe that's something that you can do when you're, when you're kind of naive. Do you think it's the just juxtaposition of the big city versus the small town that like allowed that there's just such a, such a contrast between lives lived in the small town versus the big city that it, that alone can account for her kind of change in worldview? You know, I don't know. I mean, I guess for me too, it's the, the time period of it. Um, what she's in the city for maybe a year. I mean, the first time she's in the apartment, they are just so, they're so thrilled by it. And as it turns out, it seems like this apartment is probably very modest in terms of what, you know, what your expectations can be if you are as wealthy as Eli, you know, she's in a nice apartment. She's in a nice estate. She has a driver. I don't know. I just lost my train of thought. (laughs) (laughs) Just the time period in which she's in the big city. Right. Yeah. I guess her, I guess there was just a lot of instant stuff in here that weakened. Yeah. Like by the end, I definitely had, you know, you come around, you support her. Like, I'm happy that she has made this decision to reject something that she doesn't want. And I think that you can get into you know, her fam, the family, Eli's family thought that they were getting someone who would be easy to control. And she turned out to be a lot like Eli's girlfriend. Yes. Yeah. Two strong women they have to contend with. Right. So she outmaneuvers, she outmaneuvers the person. And I guess I just wanted a little bit more of an inkling that she could be someone to do that. I think there was a lot of stuff that just happened, you know, very quickly. Like all of us, even her fashion, she, you know, mm-hmm. it's just, she spends 
six months in school and now she's a designer and now she has like three stores. <laughs> yeah. No, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. There, there is, it is, it does feel kind of sudden. I mean, maybe like I read this at the beach and so I was sort of like in this pile of books and fantasy land going, a little bit. Yeah. And I was kind of going quickly book to book to book. So like, I didn't, I didn't mind that it felt fast because I was moving fast. I wasn't kind of like reading for like, uh, you know, slow relationship or, or credibility. I was reading more for like for plot and then moving on. So maybe that's why it just, it didn't bother me as much. Right. I also didn't feel, I guess I wanted more to, in terms of, what modern society is like in Ghana, you know, as opposed to the rural, like you said, the city, I just felt like I didn't have enough details to be routed in either place. You know, like what were the expectations there? Um, some parts of this book just felt like it was said in Ghana and then we are shown like this traditional life that she would have let, lived, but it also seemed like her expectations were very American. Yeah, I think that's true. So it was enjoyable. Um, I don't know. What do you think that you would have done in her in her position? Because obviously it was not something out of the norm to hold uh, a marriage I mean, where, to- where your husband is not even present. So... Yeah, I'd like to think I would have to done to go from she- accepting something like that to yeah, saying I'd- it has to be just me or no one is was yeah. huge. Yeah. I mean, I'd like to think that I would have done what she did. That, you know, I would have had the same impatience and frustration that she did and that I would not have stood for it. I think it's a lot harder to we we've kind of glossed over it the fact that she did have a kid. Well, and- I was just about to ask that. How do you think that that changed? Yeah. Well, I mean, when you have a kid, then things, you know, you can't just kind of break it off and move on as easily. You've got someone else that you've got to take care of. And she had to support him, even though I think she knew that her, that Eli would always take care of the kid because he loved the kid too. But, um, he didn't want them to leave. He wanted them to accept. Right. He was happy to go back and forth between the houses. True. No, I I enjoyed this one. What did you think of, um, how do you think that he reacted to to her? How do you think he felt? And then how do you think the family felt about her being able to maneuver the way she did? I mean, I'm sure that on some level he respected it. I mean, it inconvenienced him and it kept him from doing, you know, living his <laughs> nice, having his cake and eating it too. But I think that deep down, he one of the things he loved about her though was her independence and her fieriness. and um, his family, it was hugely inconvenient for them too. I mean, like you said, their, their plot was stymied because they had hoped to find this malleable, pliant woman who would, you know, sort of drag him back from the evil woman that in whose clutches he had found himself, but yet, you know, without really challenging him. Cause they, I think they all knew what he was like. So I'm sure they were very frustrated by her, but I liked that she didn't care. Like she didn't care about pissing off his mother or, you know, I mean, she obviously cared about how it would impact her own mother. But once she knew that she could 
support her mom, I think that she felt like, I don't, I don't care about what's, you know, the, the implications of this. Right. So do you think they stay separated? Do you think she moves, she finds someone else? Like, what do you think? Yes, I do. Her? I do. I mean, I think that she's kind of owed her, her, I think she finds her, her own path to happiness without him. And yeah, but I would like to know the answer to that question. What? You know, what happens to her? Like, I'd love to ask the author, like, what do you imagine (laughs) her? If there was a sequel, what would it be like? Right. Yeah. What do you think? No, it definitely does seem like she, she is on that path. And I think that she could do whatever it is she wants to. I mean, even in terms of Eli, I think it's interesting that he has to accept that he is not going to be able to just do what it is that he wants. I mean, you find out that he has been integrating their son into his life with this other woman, mm-hmm. um, which I think is is probably, that was the deal breaker, you know, because she's not allowed to have any access basically to him. And in some ways, I feel like it signals that he is more integrated and protective of the girlfriend than he is of her. So I think that that's why that final scene makes it just so easy for her to to walk away, even though she's still very much in love with him. Right. Um, so that was, it was just like, that was that little final twist that made it possible for her to walk away and have a career and have a life. I mean, I still think that she will probably get some pushback from him if she's going to be involved in other relationships, because, you know, all of the men in this novel seem to expect that they should just have what they want. I mean, we haven't even touched on the, the villain that her is her uncle, mm-hmm. <laughs> all of his greed and expectations that she is just going to take care of his family, that she should be sending him money. So I think that she has a long road ahead of her, but because of the elements that are put in place by Eli's wealth, the fact that he has been willing to share and let her launch her own business will give her a head up. And I think she'll be okay. Yeah, I think so. So I love the setup. The middle was a little bit snoozeville for me. And then the ending got really juicy and engrossing. (laughs) Yes. So on the whole, I agree with you. I would recommend it. And, you know, I think it's, it was a little bit of a shallow presentation of things, but it definitely was, you know, worthwhile and got you thinking. Yes. And entertaining. It's a good read. Yeah. Entertaining. Yeah. All right. Well, that's our, our February book club. Let us know what you thought of the book. Um, feel free to hit us up on our Facebook page or on our blog, thereaderlyreport.com. And, um, let us know what you thought of this book. Yeah, we'll announce our next pick next time, which will be the April Book Club pick, which would be the second show that we do in April. So more details to come on that. All right. Well, Nicole, happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> you too. Thank you. And for those of you listening, if you're looking for some romance to get you through the month, hopefully we've, we've given you some recommendations. And until next time, happy reading. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Readerly Report. You can find all of our shows on iTunes or at thereaderlyreport.com. 
Please join our Facebook group, Readerly Report Readers, where you can talk to other listeners about their reading life. You can also find Nicole at NicoleBonilla.com and me, Gail, at EverydayIWriteTheBookBlog.com. Finally, we'd love it if you left us a review on iTunes and told your book-loving friends about us. Thanks. Thanks.